Good morning, fellowship. Let's stand and celebrate our Lord together. I saw some of y'all bouncing. That was pretty cool. <laughs> well, again, I say good morning to you, Fellowship. It is so good to be with you this morning. And, and also, I would say to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Fellowship Bible Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a greeting that was typical of the Apostle Paul in his letters to the early church. Always grace and peace, always in that order, always acknowledging the source 
of that grace and peace, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought it would, as we kick off our series on Philippians, I thought it'd be most appropriate that we, just like Paul did, would acknowledge and contemplate and celebrate the inseparable relationship between grace and peace. Amen? That relationship between grace and peace. Because if you have truly accepted and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's promise is that he, uh, peace will come that is unlimited by our circumstance, and that is good news. Wouldn't you agree? And Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's worth celebrating, don't you think? I said that's worth celebrating, don't you think? All right, well, let's do it.
know, I've been looking so forward to our study of Philippians. You know, God has used this Holy Spirit-inspired letter to bring so much comfort and hope and strength into my life during some of the most difficult things I've ever been through. And perhaps the same is true for, for you. And although this uh, letter was written to believers at, at Philippi, it has powerfully profound relevance for us today. It paints a powerful picture of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's made possible for all that would follow him. Because in, in this letter, Paul boldly calls Jesus Lord, a title normally only reserved for Caesar alone, but it's a title that's fitting for who he is, his authority, and his salvation. He calls the people of God to an ever-increasing, abounding love, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. He describes Christ as the very definition of living and even considers death as gain in all things, living or in death, Christ be exalted. He called the church to a life worthy of the gospel, even pointing uh, to the point of suffering because that suffering would lead to a deeper experience with Jesus Christ. And he called them to oneness and humility, challenging them to put the interests of others, the needs of others before their own. And I love this. He called Jesus' followers to shine like the stars in the sky in the middle of a broken, sinful world and to do so without complaining or arguing and to hold firmly to the word of life. And Paul considered everything as loss compared to the immeasurable worth of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. So in all things, he called them to rejoice, for the Lord is near. He called them to be gentle to all, to worry about nothing, to only think about good things. How could anyone possibly live this way? Because of Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand and give him the glory he's due.
pray with me? Well, Lord, we thank you for moments of true worship where we bow before you and recognize who you truly are. So Lord, I pray as we humble ourselves before you and lift you up as the creator of the universe, that you would meet us in this moment as we open your word and you would speak to us. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and boldness to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I believe that the Bible is no ordinary book. I believe that it is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate to the depths of the heart and soul of every man, woman, and child. I believe that the words in this book are sweeter than honey and they're more precious than gold. I believe that they're a lamp to our feet, that they're a light unto our path. There are over 31,000 verses in this book contained within 700, 31,000 verses containing 750,000 words delivered to us in 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, written by 40 different authors from three different continents and three different languages over a period of 2,000 years. And the words come to us in many literary forms like poetry or letters or narratives, even visions. And they deliver to us history and theology and commandments and prophecy. This is the best-selling book of all time. There are over six billion copies in print. And it's the best-selling book each year and every year. And it's been translated into more language than any book in history. I believe that the words in this book are designed to comfort the afflicted. And they're designed to afflict the comfortable. These words are God-breathed. And they're useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And they can thoroughly equip every man or woman to be God's servant. I believe that these words are inerrant. That they're infallible. And that they're authoritative for all people in all places at all times. And they will not return empty, but accomplish what the, Lord, what the Lord wills, what he desires, what he purposes. So what a privilege it is this morning for us to study the word of God. Amen? Fellowship Bible Church, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning, we are going to begin a 12-week journey through this New Testament epistle or letter. And I want to invite you to come on the journey with us as we study this book verse by verse, week to week. And I want to encourage you to be here with us for the next 12 weeks. And if you can't join us in person, then pick it up online and don't get behind. We do have companion resources available for you. We've produced a study guide that's going to contain background information and study questions and devotional passages. They're for sale in the foyer for $10, but y'all know what I'm about to do. If you don't have one of these, you want one, raise your hand. The ushers are coming through and you can just pay us on the way out. We've got Benton County Sheriff out there. <laughs> I trust, if you want to steal a Bible study guide, go for it, go for it. Hey, raise your hands if you want a study guide. We'll put one in your hand right now, and you can pay us on the way out. This is designed to be an inductive Bible study. Keep your hands up. I see that hand. I've always wanted to say that. I didn't grow up Baptist, but I've always, I see that hand. I see that hand. Don't worry, the buses will wait. <laughs> hey, this is an inductive Bible study. So in the guide, there's a bookmark that will walk you through how to do that. We also have instructional videos available online to pick that up. We'll talk about that more next week. This is a great curriculum to go through with your small group, whether it's a community group, a men's group, 
a women's group. This would be even something great to do in your home with your family. Men, we're going to be studying key verses in Philippians in our men's morning studies, which launch September 26th and 27th. We're in Springdale on Tuesday mornings. We're in Rogers on Wednesday mornings. We also have some online resources available for you. You can go to our website and we will have the sermons and the teaching slides and the curriculum available for you. But we also have a new app that we're rolling out. It's live right now and you can find that there as well. Our artists have been at work. And so our spectra artists have painted some pieces that are inspired by the book of Philippians. And our fellowship worship team has produced some new music. Um, One song, To Live as Christ, is streaming right now. And we'll debut it in here next week. We've got a lot coming at you in this series. But it won't do any good if the Lord doesn't move. So let's dedicate it to him in prayer right now. Well, Lord, you inspired this letter through your Holy Spirit to be written to this first century church at Philippi. But Lord, we also know that you wrote this letter to us. And so I pray that this wouldn't be a history lesson, but it would be um, real life, real time ministry to us. So would you grow us up through this letter? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you inspire us? And we'll give you all the credit and all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let's get started. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was a first century evangelist and church planter and missionary. After his powerful conversion, he was commissioned by the resurrected Christ to proclaim the word of God to the nations. As he writes this letter, he's accompanied by his ministry apprentice, Timothy. The letter was actually written from a prison cell. That is why Philippians is called a prison epistle. Most scholars believe that Paul wrote this while he was imprisoned in Rome after he completed his three missionary journeys. The letter is addressed to the people and the leadership of the beloved local church at Philippi, one of Paul's favorite congregations. You'll see that clearly today. But it was also intended to be circulated among other churches, which would include our church today. The letter's primarily meant to be a thank you note to the, from the, to the church at Philippi for the encouragement and the financial support that they've sent to the imprisoned apostle. In fact, the church sent one of their own. We'll meet him later in the letter. His name is Epaphroditus to minister to Paul in his difficult circumstances while imprisoned in Rome. How encouraging it must have been for Paul to know that even though he was imprisoned, even though he faced possible death, he faced martyrdom for his faith that the church at Philippi stood with him in his time of suffering. They loyally contended for his well-being. You could state the theme of the letter this way, that, that the purpose of Philippians is to encourage the church to strive for joyful unity while struggling to advance the gospel. Paul challenged the Philippians to stay close together and to hold on to their joy as they fought the good fight. That word joy, it appears, um, joy or rejoice appears 19 different times in these four short chapters, which is surprising considering that the letter is actually written by a man in chains. The word Christ or Jesus is used 50 times. The word gospel is used over 100 times. This is a very Christocentric, this is a very gospel-centered letter. Paul was challenging the church to rejoice in the midst of their struggle to advance the gospel. And he considered it a privilege, an honor, a joy to suffer for the cause of Christ. 
Let's join into the, uh, dive into the, the heart of the opening of the letter. Let's see what Paul had to say to the Philippians. Look at verses three to six. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul began with gratefulness. He was thankful for his friendship with the believers at Philippi. These were his people. Their friendship, their partnership that that he shared with this church was a, a source of ongoing and deep joy for the apostle. He had a, a deep fondness for these people. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. Let's key off of that word, remember. When Paul says that he remembered them, his memories from firsthand knowledge and experience. Paul founded the church at Philippi. He was there on opening day from from day one, and he has a storied history with this church. He knows their names. He's baptized many of them. He's stayed in their homes. He's been a part of their individual stories. Well, how do we know that? Well, actually, the story of the founding of the church at Philippi is recorded for us in the scriptures as well. Turning your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I want to remind you, Acts chapter 16 tells the story of the founding of the church at Philippi. And it actually occurred during Paul's second missionary journey. So you know what we need right now? It wouldn't be a good fellowship series without a map. We need a map. No, not chart. That's the other guy. I'm the map guy, no mustache. On Paul's second missionary journey, he began by revisiting the churches that he planted on his first missionary journey. You can see them there in the highlighted window. So he went up um, from Antioch above Syria and went back to Iconium and to Lystra and to Derbe. And the big question became, What new territory will Paul, the evangelist, the church planner, the missionary, take the gospel to next? Where would he visit to share the good news of Jesus? Now, he assumed that he would continue to minister in Asia, either going north or going west. And this would have been very logical. But interestingly enough, the Lord said no. And he prevented the apostle from following through with his plan. Check out Acts chapter six, verse, chapter 16, verses 6 to 8. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. He tried to go west to the province of Asia, and the Holy Spirit prevented him. He tried to go north into Bithynia, but again was prevented by the Lord. Now, the scriptures don't tell us how the Lord prevented him. It could have been that it was circumstantial prevention. It could have been a gut feeling, a whisper from the Spirit to Paul's spirit. It could have been governmental prevention. It could have been a warning they received. We don't know the specifics, but their plans were altered and they ended up on the western edge of Asia in a port city called Troas. And while in Troas, Paul received a supernatural vision that revealed his next move. Look at Acts 16, verses 8 to 10. So they passed by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision. It was the vision of a man from Macedonia standing up and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, how would an evangelist, church planner, and missionary help someone? After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul ended up in Troas, this port city. 
He, he's waiting on his next move while there, and he has a dream, a vision of a man from Macedonia, that's modern-day Greece. And that man appeared to him and begged him to come and share the gospel with him. Now, Macedonia is not Asia. It's actually across the Aegean Sea in Europe. So after being prevented from further ministry in Asia, while in Troas, Paul has this dream to take the gospel across the sea to a new continent. The vision was from the gospel to go from Asia to Europe. So Paul obeyed. He got on a boat and he took the gospel across the, the Aegean Sea to the European continent. Now you may be wondering, Sam, where are you going with this? Are we studying the book of Acts? Or are we studying the book of Philippians? Because I just paid $10 for a book. And on the cover, it says Philippians. Can you land the plane here? Can you get to the point? Well, stay with me. What was the first city that Paul visited in Europe? Well, it was Philippi. And while there, he experienced three supernatural and powerful life change story. Let me introduce you to some of the Philippians. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Let's meet Lydia. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed across Samothrace. And the next day, we went to the port of Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to where? Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside of the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So in obedience to the vision, Paul crossed the Aegean Sea. He arrived at the port of Neapolis, which is the modern day port of Kavala. And then he walked nine miles inland to the city of Philippi and began his ministry. The text says that on the Sabbath, he walked outside of the city to a known place of prayer, seeking to worship and maybe finding those who would be open to his message. It's believed that there's no synagogue at Philippi, so worshipers of God would gather outside of the city at designated places of prayer. Upon arriving at the, the river, the apostle and his ministry team found people there praying, seeking God. And so the missionaries did what they were sent to do. They, they began to speak with them about Jesus. And one of those ladies, her name was Lydia. She was a wealthy female business owner, a supplier of purple cloth, a luxury item. And she was a worshiper of God, yet not a believer in Jesus. But she was willing to listen to what Paul and his companions had to say. And the Lord was working on her heart. The Spirit was stirring her soul. And by the grace of God, she believed in Jesus. And she became the first European convert in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And not only did she believe, but her whole household believed, and they were baptized. And Lydia's home became the ministry base for the Apostle Paul and his group in Philippi. Now, last summer, a group of us from fellowship went to Philippi, and we actually got to go visit Lydia's stream. Is that cool or what? The Gangites River. This is holy ground. And it was very evident to us as we were there that this would have been an opportune place to find peace to express prayer and worship. Our group had a significant time of communion and, and worship there. Let me stop right here. Fellowship often goes to the Holy Land or to visit biblical sites. And I want you to just put it on your to-do list, your bucket list, that one day you'll go with us. And just to let you know, March of 25, John Barclay and I are taking a group to Israel. And we would love for you to join us if that interests you, just email us, israel at fellowshiprogers.org. We'll send you the link. We're actually taking signups right now. So Lydia and her family became the first converts 
in Philippi in the ministry of Apostle Paul. Her home became the ministry base. But look at Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Next, Paul encountered a demon-possessed slave girl. The text says this. Once, while we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she could predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and his ministry partner, Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. The second life change story from Philippi is a female slave freed from demon possession. And this supernatural event caused quite a stir on the streets of Philippi. And Paul and his ministry partners were accused of creating a disturbance for advocating for unlawful beliefs. And the authorities had Paul and Silas beaten and flogged and they threw them in prison. So Paul found himself just days into his European evangelism tour, bruised and bloodied and chained to a prison wall under the watchful eye of the Philippian jailer. And of course, Paul the evangelist stayed on mission. And the jailer himself will now hear the good news about Jesus. Pick it up in verse 25 and hear about Paul's prison ministry. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he asked them an epic question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So even though they were suffering for the gospel, they were beaten, they were bloodied, they were bruised, they were in chains, Paul and Silas continued to rejoice in the Lord. They continued to pray and worship the Lord and their unwavering faith impacted the other prisoners and even the jailer himself. Around midnight, God supernaturally and powerfully intervened, throwing open the prison doors, loosing the chains of the prisoners And at that point, the jailer asked one of my favorite questions in the whole Bible. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer, believe in the Lord Jesus. Profess trust and faith in the person and the work of Christ. Profess faith in exchange for our failed attempts at living up to God's holy standard. Let me stop right here. Maybe this is a question that you need to ask today. What must you do to be saved? Did you know you needed saving? Did you know that you have a sin problem? And that sin separates you from a holy God and that you're destined for an eternity apart from him. We'll hear Paul's words to the jailer and to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's not a cheap belief where you merely intellectually accept that Jesus was a real historical figure who died and was resurrected. It's it's a more weighty belief. It's a a transfer of trust from self-righteous attempts to please God to fully trusting only 
in the person and work of Jesus. Maybe that's the first time you've ever thought of that concept of needing to be saved. And maybe you need to do some business with God. After the service, we would love to talk with you in our prayer room. Just come visit with us. Well, that night, the jailer and his family came to know the Lord, and they too were baptized. So by the end of the first few days of Paul's ministry in Europe and in Philippi, he had planted a church, and he had a host home at Lydia's house. The account of the church is summarized in Acts 16, verse 40. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Now, can you imagine Lydia and her family, the jailer and his family, the slave girl and others sharing and worship and and prayer and hearing from the apostles' teaching Now, I can't help but not from my fellowship Bible church roots. Look at this passage. What do you see here? Community group. They were eating taco soup. (laughs) They had red solo cups. It says Lydia, jailer. I mean, maybe they knew his name by then. (laughs) Jailer. And they were sitting around and they were talking about the Lord. I can't help but think that what we're doing here mimics the early church. Back to the passage. What what book are we studying? (laughs) Philippians. But now I want you to read it again. And see if it doesn't make more sense to you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Does Paul have memories? Oh, yeah. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Now there is no doubt who began the work in Philippi. Every instance had a supernatural event attached to us. God planted this church And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Paul was grateful because he remembered. He remembered the vision of the Macedonian man. He remembered Lydia expressing faith at the Gangaitis River. He remembered the slave girl being supernaturally freed from bondage. He remembered that miraculous night at the jail and that first Philippians church meeting at Lydia's house. And not only did he remember them, he prayed for them. Look at verse four. He expressed ongoing care and concern and love for them through prayer, even though he wasn't physically present with them. You know, praying for someone is an expression of deep affection. Prayer is selfless. Prayer is sincere. Prayer is love in action, it's, it's asking the almighty creator of the universe to get involved in someone else's life. It's more than I'm thinking of you. Have you ever had someone say that to you? You're in my thoughts. That doesn't do any good. Prayer changes things. And there's a significant difference between merely telling someone you will pray for them and really praying right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You see, just telling someone you're praying for them is about you. It makes you look good. It makes you appear to care. Have you ever done that? Said to someone or texted them or maybe put a note on social media praying for you and then you didn't? I'm so glad I'm not like y'all. That message made you look good, but it did them no good. Genuine and consistent love and concern for someone leads you to really pray for them. And it's a deeply moving act. When someone holds you up in consistent prayer, it it bonds your hearts. It brings love and wisdom from heaven into your relationship. Paul loved the Philippians so much that he prayed for them regularly 
and consistently. And verse five tells us that they not only shared that bond of prayer, but they also partnered in ministry together from the first day on. The Philippians joined Paul in advocating for the cause of Christ. They locked arms together to fulfill the mission. See, not only did the Philippians receive the gospel, but from their earliest days, they took responsibility for sharing the gospel. The truth of Jesus was being proclaimed by these new believers in this key city. No wonder the apostle Paul was grateful for these people They had a shared past. We see that they were sharing in the present. And look at verse six. Paul talks about a shared future. He said he was confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? Completion until the day of Christ. The work the Lord began in them, the work that he was carrying on in them, he would one day complete in them. At the day of Christ Jesus. This is a very theological verse. It speaks of salvation and sanctification and glorification. It it speaks of the beginning work of Christ. It speaks of the progressive work of Christ. And then the final work of Christ. It gives us so much to look forward to. What a great faith journey we have before us. And this is what the Apostle Paul shared with the brothers and sisters at Philippi. And this shared faith led to shared hearts. Look at verse seven. The apostle Paul continues to express his love for the Philippians. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, as he was when he wrote this, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is obvious in this opening part of the letter that Paul held a deep love and affection for the Philippians. These were his people. He had a heart-to-heart connection with them. His feelings went beyond sentiment or nostalgia. He had a genuine care for this church. And as he wrote the letter, remembering them and praying for them. It says he longed to be with them. Now that would make sense. Paul sat in that cold prison cell and he fantasized about trading that circumstance for the warmth of the presence of his favorite church. And look at that last line. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'll be honest with you guys. As I've read this letter over the years, I've often been perplexed by this particular part of the text because this isn't the tone or the language you would expect coming from the pen of a middle-aged man. What would cause the Apostle Paul to get all sappy? What would cause him to feel this way about a group of people? Well, what's going on here? Well, let's just do the math. You've seen it right in the text. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because they had a shared story and a shared faith and they shared in a a prayerful exchange with one another and they shared a cause together, the ministry, and they shared a future together in eternity. Think of all they've been through together. Think of all the miracles they've seen. Think of their shared belief. Think of their shared ministry conquest and their shared eternity, that one day they knew that this work would be complete in them in heaven. Paul's affection for them was driven by a shared faith. It was a shared faith in the past. It was a shared faith in the present. And it was a shared faith in the future. Paul was with them at the beginning. He was with them ongoing as they lived out their faith. And he knew that one day he would be with them for all eternity. And as I look at the passage, I think we can extract a truth from the passage, something that was true then, and it's something that is true now. That having faith in common builds relationships that are uncommon. Having faith in common leads to, it cultivates, it builds relationships that are uncommon. A shared faith leads to a shared heart. 
There's just something extraordinary. There's a depth, a a friendship, a, a camaraderie, a unique bond of brotherhood and sisterhood that can emerge from a shared belief in Christ. When we share the same story, when we share the same journey, when we share the same cause, when we choose to share concern and share needs and share hopes, our hearts become bonded with others in an uncommon way. I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years now. And I can think back on the journey and there are significant people that stand out as true brothers, true sisters in Christ, people I can count on for the long haul, bonded hearts, always willing to serve one another, faithful in prayer, focused on the same mission. And I found that these relationships are precious. Can you think of anybody in your life that would fit that phrase from the Apostle Paul? I thank my God every time I remember you. Have you ever experienced this kind of depth, of intimacy, a bondedness that centers around a shared faith journey? If someone comes to mind, I want to encourage you to put this passage into application this week. Would you pray for them? But then also back that up by calling them or texting them or emailing them or writing them a note and just let them know what they mean to you. Having faith in common builds relationships that are uncommon. And these kinds of relationships are actually one of the goals of our church, Fellowship Rogers. We actually hope and pray that you would experience these kinds of deep friendships centered around Christ. Because the fact is, we all need them. You know, many people feel lonely or disconnected or forgotten or isolated in this world. You've got no one to celebrate with and no one to grieve with and no one to call when you just need a little help. And I believe that in each of us, there's this deep need for community, for relationships that extend beneath the surface. And I believe that there's something truly unique about Christ-centered community where we share hearts and share faith. So I just wonder if maybe it's time for you to make a change. Maybe your life is a wreck and you look around you and you're surrounded by reckless people. Maybe it's time for a relationship renovation. You know, the Proverbs say that he who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers much harm. It's so true. Maybe it's time for you to re-engage some Christ-centered relationships that have meant something to you in the past. Maybe you've just moved here, and just by the nature of your circumstance, you feel isolated. You feel a little bit lonely, certainly disconnected, and maybe it's time for you to take a risk and sign up for something like a small group at your church. Maybe it's time for you to take responsibility for the spiritual well-being and care of another and in turn be cared for yourself. I just wonder if what Paul experienced with the Philippians is actually a picture of what this church is supposed to be like. Well, the passage closes with a prayer. So if you've ever wondered what to pray for those that you love, this would be a model to work through. Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is how you pray for someone that you love and care for. You pray for them to grow in their love for God and others. You pray for them to grow in their faith. You pray for them to have wisdom and discernment to make decisions in this confusing world. And you pray for them to bear fruit so that they can bring praise and glory to God. Would you bow with me?
And would you pray that prayer over someone that you are interacting with in life? Parents would be a great prayer to pray over your kids. Husbands, a great prayer to pray over your wife. Maybe pray it over someone you work with. Right now, would you just pray? It's okay to cheat and look at the screen. Nobody will hold you accountable. Let's spend some time praying for others, and then I'm going to pray for you. Well, Lord, I pray over our church, Fellowship Rogers. Lord, that we would grow and abound in love for you and love for others. Lord, I pray that you would grow us up in wisdom and discernment so that we can make wise decisions as we navigate our complex world. And Lord, I pray that you would grow us up so that we bear fruit, that we grow in godliness. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring your name, praise, and glory. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, fellowship, tonight is the night. Tonight is the night. We are going to have our first ever community group tailgate. And so I don't know if you noticed, I've already seen tents popping up on campus getting ready for tonight. I loved that when I came in. There was one up at like 7 a.m. this morning already. So I wanna invite your group to come tonight. We're gonna have some fun. So we'll start gathering in here about 4.15. We'll have some music going. And then at 4.30, we're gonna have a short time in here. And then you're free to spread out around the campus and have your first meeting together where you'll talk about the semester. Um, we want you to come. So if your community group hasn't made plans yet, just come anyway, and you guys can just go out to eat afterwards, and, and we'll count that as your tailgate. Uh, we want you to be here. If you don't have a community group, if you don't have people who know your name, who know your story, who wanna love you, who would help you move, who would help you cry when things are going on, who would celebrate with you, just come tonight. We're gonna launch groups live tonight. And so we'll see you then, 4.30 Fellowship. We'll see you back. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you.